0: hey guys you're listening to the tasha labs podcast and today i want to talk about three things i want to talk about some of the macro update because the q2 gdp number now casting number for the u.s just came out and secondly i want to talk about investment framework specifically related to the debate of hodling versus trading this is uh, relevant for crypto but also for investment in general and my thinking about this has shifted over time i want to here with you some of my thoughts and thirdly recently i published this article called truth versus bullshit in crypto and i got some interesting questions and so we will cover some of that at the end okay so first of all macro so the atlanta fed just published this now casting q2 gdp forecast uh, not, not a forecast but you know using short-term indicators to estimate gdp um you know of course the number will be different from the final GDP number but right now it's showing minus two percent year on year growth for q2 so q1 we had uh, a negative print for gdp number and q2 looks like it's still negative so a lot of people are saying we are already in the recession territory and the fed is going to pivot soon or they should well my thought on this is uh, not so fast okay because if we actually look at uh, what's uh, causing that two percent drop in gdp number so you can see like uh, most of the drop is actually caused by negative investment growth specifically related to residential investment and also business real estate investment and what is actually you know us of course is a economy that's hugely driven by consumer demand right it's a consumption driven economy so if you look at the consumption the Q2 growth is still positive. Well, it's actually pretty flat, but it's slightly positive. So you can argue how accurate this number is, right? But, um, it is, (laughs) it is not a negative number and this is on real terms. Okay. So it's not take, it's already removing the price effect. So that brings, brings the question of, uh, you know, this co- is this going to cause the Fed to change direction? I don't think so because now a few months ago, I think I m- mentioned maybe in the previous episode that you know, San Francisco Fed had this study that uh, they concluded one third of the inflation over the past year the US is demand driven and two-thirds are supply driven Th- so the supply driven part is dissimilar to the rest of the world right but the demand driven part is kind of unique to the US because uh, we gave out too much subsidies to you know um, over the COVID period uh, uh, airdropped too much money so the thing is uh, the consumer demand is the part that is most relevant for the demand driven part of the CPI, right? So we still see, you know, service prices going up. And uh, this part of it, unless we crush the consumer part, consumption part of the GDP growth, you are not going to uh, likely have a demand, like a huge demand destruction effect. And that's called uh, which is going to cause the demand side of uh, of inflation to drop so i don't think we're there yet so you may argue all right um consumer consumption growth yes it's still positive but it's already weakened a whole lot so maybe in the next couple quarters we will start to see negative consumption growth that's quite likely but we are not there yet we are still a distance away right and you think about you know since given the inflation print in recent months has been so high like i said in the previous episode we are going to have most likely a policy overshoot so even if you see you know consumption starts to go into a negative territory and inflation print starts to go go down that is not equate that does not equate the policy direction change in terms of a complete pivot so a complete capitulation in my definition is going from loosening uh, going from tightening to loosening right so i don't think we're gonna see that happening but maybe you know um so previous forecast for the july fomc is over 90 percent probability of uh, another 75 basis point hike right so if let's say the gdp number affected the feds consideration about the pace of tightening they don't have to then they don't have to hike 75 they can hike 50 or they can you know pause in September that is likely um, possible to happen but that is still a change in pace and speed of tightening that does not mean pivoting okay and not to mention on the other side which is the quantitative tightening schedule which is arguably more important to the behavior risk asset so we know that QT just started, right? And uh, the Fed balance sheet has shrunk from the April peak by about $50 billion, okay? Uh, how much did we pump <laughs> over the COVID period since 2020? We pumped about uh, $5 trillion. That's the size of expansion of uh, Fed balance sheet. It basically doubled, okay? So right now we currently have shrunk about one uh, percent of that extra, you know, Fed balance sheet increase. So if Fed is uh, in, in anywhere serious about QT, it, this has a long way to go. Now you may argue they cannot be all that serious about QT because if you if you really you know reduce all that five trillion dollars um, entirely out of the balance sheet, that's that's going to h- cause huge issues to not just the risk assets, you know, to the real estate market, to like, uh, you know, conf- consumer confidence and GDP number that everything is going to be crushed. So um, we don't w- it's not likely that we see things go that far. But I just want to emphasize you you see like one percent shrinkage of fat balance sheet. 1% of the of the increase that we've seen over the COVID period and that is already caused us so much damage in the market, right? So when the number doesn't need to be go down so far going down so far, you, you still can see, um, you know, huge impact to the risk assets. Um, so the bottom line is uh, I do not see any pivot happening. <laughs> I think I think we are still, you know, in in the trenches of it and, uh, um, you know, my baseline is uh, market is going to drop further and how much to what extent that that is a different question. Okay. And not to mention, you know, um, we are in a fragile position in risk assets. So we, (laughs) all the forecast right now is not based on not, not uh, calculating not counting in any kind of exogenous shock that may happen in the second half of the year. So the first half of the year we had Ukraine, and very few people saw that coming right so if we have any kind of exogenous shock (laughs) to the downside uh, that's not gonna look pretty and nobody is uh, you know taking that into account right now but anyway so that is the (laughs) macro situation i'm sorry there's not much uh, good news to convey oh maybe there are a couple good news now i think about it first of all um, we see that uh, logistic in price index in terms of shipping cost globally has been coming down actually over the past few months so this may translate into lower inflation print going forward globally okay, on the supply side so that's that's one piece of uh, positive news that may happen and secondly you see china has been opening up um, i have a friend who's going to visit family in china right now and he told me he only has to um quarantine for three days <laughs> <laughs> only three days instead of two three weeks that was the previous norm okay and uh, we see the leading indicators uh, economic activity indicators in uh, from China um, you know coming out to higher than expected recently so the economy is opening up and if that part of the global economy you know comes back comes back online and uh, the you know uh, logistics, uh, that that will have a positive impact on logistics and that will reduce some of the supply bottlenecks and that's you know good for reducing inflation worldwide but we you know it's still a wait and see still early situation uh, if there is another covid wave in china because of the reopening we may well see another round of shutdown i don't know right so um but that is a still a ongoing development but we see some positive things happening so that is that and the second thing i want to talk about as i mentioned is investment framework so there are these two popular schools of thoughts in i think quite prominently in crypto is related to whether you should huddle or whether you should uh, you know try to trade and uh, try to buy bottom and sell top right so um i want to talk about this because I think some of this mentality is especially related to the ho- hodling argument that is um, of, uh, of questionable <laughs> of questionable validity okay so but uh, if you are a or you're a long-term investor I totally understand where you're coming from but I just want to present two sides of the argument because this is not black and white okay you can you can there there are merits on both sides and ultimately it's a judgment call on your side but i think it it would be useful if we all do more self-reflection and uh uh, you know kind of be honest about the the motivations the psychology behind our own behaviors i think if you if you you if you you know just strive to be more self-aware and try to have more self-knowledge through the trades and investment decisions that you do, whether you win or lose, that is going to make you a better investor over the long term, right? And also a better human being <laughs> if you, you know, uh, have gain more self-knowledge through some of the decisions you make. So what are the um, you know, for and against arguments for huddling? <laughs> so first of all, the four arguments, um, the advocates for holding in crypto is uh, very straightforward you see it asset class you know in the past 15 years has had a tremendous uptrend right so the overall trend is going up instead of going down and going up a lot so in this market if you do not hold on you may move you may miss a lot of up moves if you try to trade try to you know catch bottom and sell top you may very few people can do that well right so you may miss a lot of the movement upward movement in the market and if the statistically speaking the market is going up more than it going than it goes down and you try to trade then you know those decisions statistically speaking is, uh, you know, going to go against you, pr- you know, given conditional on the market trend being overall, um, you know, uptrend over, over the longer period of time. So hard to time the market. And also if you overtrade, you're going to miss a lot of uh, segments of market rising. And also empirically speaking, you hear all these stories of people making huge gains if they you know, they they bought the Bitcoin in twenty thirteen, they bought Ethereum in twenty fourteen and they just held through all this uh, you know, 90 percent of drawdowns and they didn't move, and then budge and they kept their conviction and eventually they got rewarded. So that is the argument for huddling, right? oh and one more piece of thing is it's just easier if you're not like a full time trader investor if you don't have the time or energy or the willingness to follow the market then this gives you something that looks like a certainty to hold on to if you you know just uh, cancel out the noises and don't listen to people uh, just you know keep keep marching on with with your with your holding uh in the long term the argument is market goes up and you will come out better than people who try to trade so that is the positive uh the pro argument of hodling. i hope i have given it justice okay so uh here's the other side Again, some of you, you know, you may not, depending on which camp you're in, okay, you may not, uh, some of the things that I, that I lay out here may not be uh, music to your ears, but if any of this trigger any defensive or emoti- emotional reaction on your part, if any of what I said made you frustrated or angry, then you've got to think about why, right? Because that any kind of, that that is a sign that, you know, they're there may be a psychological trigger there y- that you 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 know uh, you may want to look into but anyway on the other hand what are the arguments against the huddling <laughs> you because a lot of times just because of uh, human psychology is is wired this way that we just don't want to lose and we don't want to accept that we are wrong in any area of life right so this is one manifestation of that is that when you buy something and the price drops below your purchase price, most of us we have a tendency to turn into unwilling long-term investors <laughs> because then we think, oh, it's I'm just gonna huddle. I'm just because the saying in the long term it's gonna go up, okay? Because all the crypto market is going up in the long term, so or. Uh, you you may think because you have a position in it in something you start to have a not so neutral view about the thing that you are holding again because we have this psychology that we don't want to accept that we are ever wrong right so if you buy into a token you tend to have a favorable opinion of it well of course you already have a favorable opinion since you bought into it right but after you bought into it, it's like you already casted your fault, right? Now you kind of the mindset is kind of fixed in that position. Now you're like, okay, this thing is golden. This becomes a sort of a baby of yours, right? So you see this happen again and again in the market. And a lot of times you like people are, are accused of, uh, you know, defending their own backs they say some positive thing, but people accuse that of me, right? If I say some positive thing about a project, it's like, oh, that must be your bag. You're just pumping your bag. Well, the the reality is a whole lot more complicated than that, right? First of all, if you are if you if you buy something, you, of course, have a positive opinion about it. And secondly, after you buy into it, it's like, you know, the mind, you know, we, we tend to do this a mind trick with ourselves. And uh, we tend to hold on to a favorable opinion, even if it's not like completely objective, right? And that becomes a dangerous thing. So unless you are completely neutral, until the point that you 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 do not take a position, if you're in a position, whether it's long or short, your opinion tend to be biased one way or another, right? Be- just just because because we want to, uh, you know, defend our own position, and we don't want to be wrong. So. But but that is uh, that just prevents you to be to to, to to be objective about things. And also, you know, a lot of times the, the, the huddling really for most people is a a, a excuse for a comp- for for not having any kind of risk management, right? So if you are an um, investor in any assets, then so people will tell you risk management is really, really important, right? But if you're huddling, <laughs> that is like uh, you have no risk mani- management altogether, right? So those are the arguments against. And also, last piece of argument against huddling, which to me, that's actually the most important thing, okay? which is the following. So investing is a repeated game, all right? It's not like a one-time bet. It's it's not like you you make a bet with with your friend about a one time event and it happened and you you won or you lost that you lost. That's the one time thing. Investing is not like that. Right. So you have to make repeated decisions, even if you 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 make a gain from something from an investment, you most likely. You know, if you if you get out of that investment, you're going to put your money in something else. That's another decision to make. Right. So these are repeated decisions. So statistically speaking, if you have a good framework of making these decisions that will allow you to make more right decisions than wrong decisions. Or if you have a a, risk management framework that is going to allow you to take less loss compared to more loss over the long term, then after a extended period of time, you are more likely to come out on top compared to otherwise, right? So if you are say, but, but if you're just hollowing a position, you do not really have, that does not really uh, allow you to practice any investment skill. You're not practicing taking losses, which is super important part of risk management, right? And you're not practicing taking profits. <laughs> so you're, and, and, None of these are easy to do if you if you are, you know, um, any, any trader will tell you these are actually it takes it definitely takes practice because your mind will always work against you. When you try to take profit or take losses, <laughs> there are all these things, all these games that we play with ourselves to to try to talk ourselves out of making a judicious de- decision. Right. So these definitely these are all things that takes practice and over the time, l- like, um, you know, build a like uh, a investment framework that makes sense for yourself. But if you're just huddling, you're not practicing, uh, practicing any of that. So over the long term, even if you make money from a particular trade, you huddled over the long term, you've succeeded, uh, kind of made a lot of games. That's just one still, you know, over a s- long term span of things, this is just one trade. You're going to make other decisions. And uh, we all learn from our history. Right. So if you if you make money about a investment, even if the decision is not very sound, but you make money, then you, you you would tend to, you know, you, you would tend to make more decisions like that <laughs> in the future. So in the long term, that's not going to going to help you so um anyway so these are like uh, positive side and negative side about the thing that's very popular in crypto that's called hodling so obviously everybody's situation different you gotta ask yourself what is your motivation what is your justification for any decisions that you make and everybody's different right but at least you know we should all be we should all be be aware of the other side of the coin because no framework or no decision is like complete certainty and and bulletproof even though the human mind is like really desperately tries to grasp onto to grab onto something of complete certainty but that thing you know definitely does not exist so um yeah so that's that's what what I want to say about the you know two sides of this uh, um, investment framework so this is also related to something that is about like conviction in the space how i think about the conviction which um, is what i want to talk about next but let's look at some questions first okay so basically um i had this um i had this article <laughs> called the uh, uh, truth and the in web3 The basic idea is that if you look at, uh, you know, over the long term, over over the long term, what is the big deal about Web3 space? Now, to me, the big deal is we are building this internet of values, right? Through tokenization. And tokenization is this amazing economic model that allows anything of value to have an expression as a tradable token. And you have the like a... um, platforms that we call public blockchains which is permissionless and open and everybody can you know, publish token and trade that with anything else on chain that is of value and it's global, it's borderless so this is like a very, this is like an amazing platform, amazing technology and economic model to create another layer of economic va- values in society and to you know really change the economic distribution has the potential to change economic distribution models that we have for the better in society so over the long term i see that as the trend of where we are going which is internet of value via tokenization and i'm extremely bullish about that i think that is the you know long-term trend of this space and uh it's it's gonna be it, it, it's going to be a technology advancement to the greater good and you know al- of course a lot of money uh, are going to be made uh, in the process so that's one but secondly what is the bullshit is <laughs> that if you look at the most of web three projects I think I already mentioned this in in the previous episode uh, 90 95% 90, of those really don't have a viable product behind But because tokenization is such a powerful economic model, it creates this short-term illusion. you know, um, it it gives you a bunch of short-term opportunistic users, quote-unquote. It gives the short-term illusion that the project, the product has traction, but actually, if you look past the tokenization aspect, the whole thing just falls apart. That's the reality for a lot of uh, you know Web three uh, products these days. So um, and 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 you know people people take advantage of that. Sometimes it's it's a it's a, it's a um, opportunistic uh, you know venture. Sometimes the uh, people seriously believe that the tokenization model is going to carry them through to the promised land of a sustainable product, but most likely it doesn't. So. <laughs> when the wind blows the other direction, uh, when the mar- market sentiment changes. OK, so that that is the that is the basic gist of, of uh, my point in that article. So I will link the article uh, in the description so you can take a look. OK, so uh, let's look at some questions about this article. And uh, First one from John R. And he says, um, Tasha, I think you are bullish on layer ones with serious teams and real tech such as near protocol But I'm not 100% sure Keen to know. Okay, so he's basically asking what's my opinion on layer ones So I think I've talked about this multiple times. I think the layer ones um is one of the best uh, reward to risk ratio if you look at if you're going to invest uh, in crypto you look at all the tokens different types of sec- subsectors and projects that you can invest layer one tokens provided that that's a chain that has traction okay and has a growing user base that is uh, one of the you know best uh, reward to risk ratio because a lot of the value accrual um, you know on chain You know, no matter what type of projects that are built on chain a lot of value accrual is actually accruing to the underlying um, Layer one or layer two protocol and and also it's a bigger It's a bigger moat and it's a bigger network effect, right? Um, If they can actually build that ecosystem, so that has always been my view then that hasn't changed however that still you have to put that into the context of, uh, you know, there's a there's a time and place for it for any investment. Right. So right now, the macro sentiment is very, you know, very severe, un- unfriendly to risk assets. So the market has gone down a lot. Um, you can argue whether there is bottom is already in yet. I don't think it's in. But even if you believe it's in, that is a different thing from um, you know things were actually looking up right you can you can be bottoming for months or even years (laughs) you you can look at you know after the dot com bust how long have we stayed (laughs) in the relatively bottom space right so you can be bottoming for a long time without the asset class doing anything so um if you tie your capital in that even if you you caught the bottom that is a opportunity cost right so There's a time and place for, you know, any any investment in any asset class. So that's one. And number two, this is more related to the conviction thing um, that um, I mentioned um, a few minutes ago. So a lot of people, when they, when they, you know, especially those maxis, about you know either bitcoin or ethereum or you know some something else their argument is look this thing has had i don't know 10 years of track record or five years of track record um and it's always been going up more than down okay down downward is always a correction a revision but and then the upside is always way bigger okay and they, that, that is the argument that people use for why you should hold on to that asset. But here's the thing, you know, Bitcoin, it came out in you know 2008 or whatnot. That's only like, uh, you know, 15 years. All right. Ethereum came out later. So it's like less than 10 years of history. And the other layer one, layer two is even shorter, right? 10, 15 years it may feel like a long time in a human's life, but it's a short time span in any kind of technology evolution. You're going to argue that, you know, time has, has, has uh, sped up, <laughs> but still 10, 15 years is not a long time to prove the, you know, long-term staying power of any asset. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So again, if you have an re- emotional reaction to that statement, I I encourage you to look into that. What is causing that? (laughs) So um, what I'm trying to say is you look at all the blockchain technology today, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, uh, near Avalanche, all of them, they are shit. (laughs) And it's like a terrible, terrible um, scaling ability. Terrible user experience, and this is not the the technology as, as it is right now. Is definitely not going to hold the mantle or take on the responsibility of the global layer of um, you know ins- internet of values infrastructure. It's right now we don't have the the entire blockchain space. We do not have the capacity to actually carry. You know carry the infrastructure load globally if we have a mass adopted internet of value layer um you know globally or if we if we are to have that tokenization uh into value vision to come true today we don't have an infrastructure for that okay so all of the infrastructure we have today is kind of a proof of concept seriously so if you look at steps st- take one step back you look at things from a ultra long-term point of view i do not know i i cannot be 100 percent sure whether you know if 30 50 years from now the internet of value will have the same set of infrastructure as we have now I'm not sure that would even be an extension of the infrastructure uh, setup that we have today. So I think to put it more bluntly, <laughs> the Bitcoin and Ethereum or Solana or whatever darling of the day <laughs> uh, blockchain today, whether they will be the predominant, uh, you know, uh, block uh, uh, you know decentralized computing infrastructure or even internet of value infrastructure 20 30 50 years down the road i don't know I, I think the likelihood is actually not low that they will not be because just just because we this this uh um just just because because the current track record if you, if you have s- if you seen like the tech development over the past 10 15 years so far we have not come up with anything decent that that can be you know scaled globally to 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 carry out the vision of web3 we don't have it now you may argue oh there are all these experiments going on there's you know zero knowledge there's uh, you know layer two rollups there are these uh, app chains and there's like data availability layers and so on so forth yeah there are a lot of experiments going on they're all very exciting something very exciting and sticky may come out of it but is that a certainty no and uh, let's just uh, keep in mind this is we are investing in a very experimental technology space okay it's experimental we are very far from having any kind of mature technology in the blockchain space in the web3 space Okay, so if you ask me, uh, how bullish am I on the Web3, long term, very bullish about Internet of Values? How bullish am I about like a layer ones, no matter which layer one? okay, from Bitcoin um, to uh, Solana, Avalanche, so on and so forth. You know, uh, about a lot of these uh, these layer ones that got traction which some of them I mentioned in previous episodes, I would say if I if I'm to invest in crypto, today or in the medium term and they they continue to have traction innovations continue to happen I am optimistic about these 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 projects and I think they are good reward to risk compared to other crypto projects that we've seen today okay but are these gonna be the technology of tomorrow I don't know Uh, (laughs) may well be not (laughs) and and you and and i think you 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 gotta you gotta hold that you've got to hold that perspective in the back of your mind all right when when we invest in these things so this is probably um so this is how i look at conviction okay so there there are different layers of conviction and about different things they may not all go the same direction uh, or they may not be the conviction all on the same time frame so, um, there are a lot of, uh, I think there, there are a lot of nuances in that and uh, a good uh, skill, I think we can all practice is to have seemingly contradictory views, you can hold the seemingly contradictory views over different layers and different time frames in your mind and see the merits in all of them when you are making any kind of investment decisions. So. I guess that's like a one more argument against hodling, <laughs> if if uh, if uh, you know if you will. So um, so yeah. So 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 the bottom line is, I don't think there is a foolproof, guaranteed thing in the crypto space. You are investing in a very exciting space of experimental technology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that that let's uh you know better better keep that in mind okay um this is not i i don't think this is something that you can just uh put some money in and just like forget about it if that money is of cons- considerable value to you unless it's like uh unless it's something that you totally don't care if if that amount is so small right if that amount is actually meaningful you 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 actually want to keep track of the sector you you will want to know what's going on in the sector how it's developing because things can move f- very fast and things can move in different directions and also keep in mind that the past uh, you know 10 15 years since crypto started in 2008 2010 that was the beginning um of 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 a like a uh, bull trend in uh, risk assets of advanced economies in general right so that was the macro environment that we we've been in so I don't think if you if you look at uh, if you step away and look at the long term picture that is like one cycle the 10 15 years but for for the crypto investor for the crypto people that's like forever like okay this asset class is always going up that's not true okay <laughs> So um and now you see like uh um, the macro environment changed, and uh, some of the previous uh beliefs um, that 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 was held by s- by some people as definitely true, for example, uh oh bitcoin and ethereum they they can drop a lot, but it will never drop below the previous highs. That myth has already been broken, right so um <laughs> And, and also some, like some people will say, all right, if you look at the uh, logarithm uh, price trend and uh, the same never drops below the true standard deviation. But again, these are like you, you, you have to look at like what kind of context or the macro environment these historical data is being placed in and, and whether that, that environment is still present today right? So that's like uh, historical data it gives you some, it informs your decision in terms of, you know, possibility, probability, but still there, there is a limitation to that, right? So none of these are a excuse to not to have um, risk management or to not to watch your basket. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So that's that Uh, next question from Daniel K. Tell us what you see as long-term truth. What is the real game in town? to be considered as worthy long-term intrinsic value-based projects. Oh my God, this, this is like, uh, this, this play right into what we just talked about, right? So I find this concept really interesting, um, which is called intrinsic value, because what exactly is intrinsic value? You know, um, it, not to be too philosophical, but I don't think there is such a thing. Value is always in the eyes of beholder, and in order for something, in order for, 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 the, for your investment value to realize, for a gain to realize, you always need a lot of people to have the opinion that the thing that you are holding have value, and have a lot of value, and which is also some, something that they also want to hold always need it's always in the context of people's opinion whether those opinions pan out in the long term to be right or wrong <laughs> but the, the the thing that has a positive price in the market has a positive price because because of uh, because of people's opinion so um, <laughs> I, I just I just don't think this this uh, this uh, concept of intrinsic value is all that useful when considering your investment. (laughs) So um, is it really, you know, when price goes up, is that delusion of the crowd or is it intrinsic value? You, you (laughs) you (laughs) You can argue that market is never neutral, so there's always some kind of delusion going on in one point or another. There is never, never a neutral point where the price is reflecting some kind of quote-unquote intrinsic value very very objectively okay and and also keep in mind financial market over it's uh, like forward-looking right so it's the 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 kind of projects that goes up in value mm, value slash price okay are whatever projects that captures the public imagination about the future right so uh that th- those are the, the the things that will go up does that mean they necessarily have more intrinsic value compared to those that don't see price go up That's uh, you know not necessarily true you, there are plenty of mundane businesses that operate smoothly and steadily that gives a you know steady income uh, but they the price don't go up <laughs> uh good example tesla v- versus I know for Toyota, you know, um, it, it does, does <laughs> this this uh, this goes into the weeds of you know. I don't want to argue with uh, you know the, the the bulls and bears on either side of, uh, of of Tesla, how much intrinsic value there is. But my point is, financial markets forward-looking, you know, it's chasing growth, it's uh, it's chasing the prospect. Um, the expectation of growth whether that expe- expectation is real is true or not but it's really you know market reflects opinion that's all reflects the predominant opinion so that's why I don't I don't tend to think about these things in terms of intrinsic value I don't I don't think that's all that helpful but I, I understand the desire for the mind to want to find that fixed point, That's that point of certainty. That's, all th- that, that's, that's what we all want to do because uh, we live in an uncertain world. We don't have foresight and uh, life is intrinsically uncertain. So all of us try to grab onto some point of certainty. And that reflects in, in a lot of the investment doctrines. But if you think there is something that is long-term intrinsic value-based, uh, I don't think that's 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 going to be a helpful framework to think about things. <laughs> especially in terms of when it comes to managing risk. Because that definitely, you know, tend to lure people into being complacent. Um, especially about these, uh, you know, high volatility assets. Um, And uh, again, we are in the space, the crypto is a space of experimental tech with liquidity. (laughs) All right. So that is uh, that is that. And the next question from Morning Shin. What exactly is the point of Web3 if it's not decentralized slash censorship? resistant so this is i think referring to what i mentioned in my article is like uh there is this mentality of okay more decentralized the better more censorship resistant the better so projects go out of their ways to try to prove they're more decentralized okay so there may be like for if you're a DeFi product there may, may be like a legal argument um for why you you, you want to be more decentralized instead of less right But in terms of product utility point of view, there are my view is there. There there is only a small selection of products that actually for which decentralization or censorship resistance is actually a key value proposition. It may be for a lot of product product. It may be a nice to have property or feature, but it's definitely not a key feature or value proposition. For the majority of you know products and services in the world so I, I, I think that the, you know the, the typical web 3 projects that you see in this day and age that tries to you know kind of create this narrative oh we are decentralized that's why we are better that is kind of a misdirected uh, thinking okay so but I want to address this question actually what's the point of Web3 if not decentralized now to me the point of Web3 is not about decentralization it's about the internet of values it's about tokenization as a economic model that allows more layers of value to be expressed in a concrete form that allows those to be tradable against one another in a uniform you, in a unified format Um, You know eight example is ERC 20 or uh, tokens. It's a uniform uniform format It's a global platform that allows, you know value exchanges to happen. That is amazing to me that is the fundamental breakthrough and that is the promise of web3 slash Internet of values, okay, but if you look at this If that is the value proposition does 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 it need decentralization or censorship resistance to exist no (laughs) okay again you know like I know a lot of uh, you know um, uh, Bitcoin maxis or Ethereum maxis would disagree with me but you know but but this is a you know I, I want to present you this perspective but you judge for yourself okay most of the products most of the values that can be embodied on chain can be tokenized which to me the tokenization aspect again is the biggest value proposition um of of web3 and when when you combine that with um products and services that actually has a viability in real life that is a very powerful um, you know business model for a lot of things but do they all need to be censorship resistant or decentralized in terms of, you know, the computing network they run on or the, you know, database they run on? I don't think so. So um, there's, a re- there's a recent um, uh, paper or report that just came out from a BIS, the so Bank of International Settlement. Okay. So I encourage you to to check it out. So I will link it in the description too. What, what the reason I bring it up is because that that is like a presents you a different p- point of view, right? So that so BIS argues that you know because of the decentralized uh, um, you know computing network, uh, the 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 EVM, the whatever blockchain network. Uh the Bitcoin network because the performance is so poor and then the you know proof-of-stake y- there there are also different drawbacks of proof of stake and different drawbacks of proof of work it's all a whole lot of effort going in to make things decentralized okay but all of these efforts all of these solutions have all have huge disadvantages and again all the infrastructure we have till today in the blockchain space is pretty crappy okay so they do have a point in that of, about these decentralized network not being able to fulfill the function of a internet of value globally at scale so what they think it makes sense is the nation states of the world come up with their own centralized uh you know computing network or databases that take some of the merits of decentralized blockchains uh namely open openness and you know some of the permissionless features to allow other you know projects to be built on top but keep this in the public domain run by the nation state you know it's like uh, the cbdc blockchains right or the cbdc network where private sector or whoever can build on it could still be interoperable it could still be you know borderless but with some restrictions whatever restrictions that nation states want to put on think you know what those are, right? But their argument that that is a much more uh, performant and useful system to for, for a internet of values to be built on. I'm not saying they're right, <laughs> okay? Of course, it's BIS. They always, they, of course, they, they, they look at things from the government's point of view. I'm not saying I agree. Actually, I don't. <laughs> because I, I just don't think government is uh Will will do a good job in terms of inventing new tech right <laughs> or maintaining new tech or a global network of uh, of uh, internet value that, that, that can be you know for everything else to be built on top I don't think I don't think the government will do a good job in that I, I think the innovation fundamentally gonna come from the private sector however a lot of critiques that they give about the current status of of blockchain infrastructure is i think very valid okay it, and given the a lot of the, the the cost and the hoops that we jump through in order to achieve some decent level of decentralization and at the end of the day for what okay um so that that gives you a different perspective not like a, the right perspective but you know again this is something it's it's always too good to keep in mind different uh, different sides of things okay so um i encourage you to, to to check out that side of the argument anyway that's all for the questions i will talk to you next time